Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, I will be talking with Jessica Kuhn, the conductor of the Richmond Hill Philharmonic Orchestra. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, March. Jessica, you are a music prof at Wilfrid Laurier, and you've taken this year as a sabbatical. How's that been? Oh, it's it's been great. I've been able to do stuff that I've wanted to do because I haven't had a break for 14 years and I really needed some time to think about other things. Yeah, very good. So as well as conducting, you do play musical instruments, correct? Yes, I used to play a lot, a lot. I don't play very much anymore, though. I just conduct a lot. Mm-hmm. But you played, what, the sax? Yes, I actually started on piano. I started playing piano when I was four. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years later, I started playing violin. And when I got into middle school, I picked up a woodwind instruments. So I started playing the clarinet. And uh, when we moved to Calgary, I began playing the saxophone, which really paid off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and percussion mainly. And uh, I got into a professional big band. So I had to learn all the wind instruments to play in this big band because you have to play flute and clarinet and bass clarinet and all the, all the horn stuff. Mm-hmm. And my uh, teacher in high school was a percussionist and he encouraged me to learn that. So I was a, a double sort of major on, on those things. And I studied clarinet at university, but I paid my way through school playing sax and, and percussion and keyboards. Oh, okay. That's a, sounds like a good part-time job. So very good. Five or six nights a week. (laughs) Okay. That's almost more than a part-time job. Okay. So can you tell us about starting the Richmond Hill Philharmonic Orchestra? Like when, why? Well, I was teaching in uh, Pennsylvania. I was teaching at a university in Pennsylvania and I'd been living out of the country for many years, seven years at that point. And in 2007, that was when I started hearing about the Performing Arts Center um, perhaps being built. Mm -hmm. And I started reading council minutes and checking on what was happening there. And there seemed to be a a missing piece for, um, I'm gonna use classical, small C classical music, orchestral music. Um, didn't seem to be mentioned in anything. So there, to me, there seemed to be a need. And I was ready to come back to Canada. Mm-hmm. My mentor, um, he's English, he said that I probably wouldn't be happy in my conducting career moving forward unless I started my own thing. Because I was assistant conductor of all kinds of things, operas and orchestras and chamber orchestras and all kinds of things. And um, I was ready for my own thing. So I started an orchestra. And I decided I wanted to do it here because I was very attracted to Richmond Hill as a community. Um, And of course, the center seemed to have a a nice place for us to play. And I spoke to the theater manager there about my idea and we worked it out. And we've been playing there ever since the building was finished. Right. So you really were waiting for the Richmond Hill Center for Performing Arts to open then. Correct. I began the orchestra before it opened. 
um, because it's no no easy task to put together an orchestra. Mm. Um, so I uh, I actually took a job in a high school to pay off some debts and to uh, raise some money to do this. Also, we needed a place to start the orchestra. And since I was head of music, I could r- practice there and get started before we really got started. And uh, so because it takes it takes a long time to train up such diverse musicians, you know, from different ages and, and backgrounds. And, you know, I think we'll be talking about who is who comprises the orchestra mm-hmm. a little later. Um, but it was a massive puzzle to put together. Um, so we began in 2008 and we did a couple of little concerts in churches. And uh, then we opened the Center for Performing Arts on opening night. Right. Okay. So question, I I think I've asked you this before, but please tell everybody, what is a philharmonic orchestra? There's no difference between philharmonic and symphony orchestra. Um, it's the meaning of the word. Symphony simply means sounding together. And it's a, been become a word that seems to have a stature. Philharmonic means uh, people who love music. So it's music lovers. And so Philharmonic Orchestra is, a, is an orchestra for music lovers made up of music lovers. I like that. Okay, that I hadn't heard before. And I think I should take a tally and see who likes which term best. So interesting. Okay. So how many people play in the orchestra? And, you know, is there like a set number of musicians required? No, you can have as many or as few as, as you can pull off the music you want to play. And in fact, sometimes we don't need all of our musicians on everything. There's some pieces where if you're watching a concert, you'll see some musicians either go off stage or they sit and not play if it's a shorter piece. Um, our orchestra is generally, it, it fluctuates. After COVID, we're rebuilding right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had up to 65, 70 musicians in our orchestra. Um, and I think the lowest we've been is about 45 or 50. Um, and, uh, I mean, they can be as, as big or as small as you want, and you need to be able to fit them into your rehearsal space yeah. and on the stage, right? Yeah. Um, but there's chamber orchestra music, which calls for, for less people. Um, so orchestras come in all shapes and sizes. Ours is, is a, a fairly big one, uh, maybe not as big as the London Symphony or the Toronto Symphony, but uh, we're pretty close. Hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, I often attend your performances, and... I do like to sit up close. So, you know, I see the musicians and there are young ones and older ones and they're male, female. And I'm thinking that they also represent the many cultural backgrounds you'd see in people in Richmond Hill, York region. So that is the case. That is absolutely the case. Um, We have, uh, I would say we have several professional musicians who play for us. Um, they enjoy playing with this group. They love being mentors. Um, we also have a whole contingent of uh, people who either have music degrees or took music in school that are doctors, lawyers, engineers, you name it. All the different uh, careers that you can have are there. And sometimes it's handy ha- to have a doctor in the room. <laughs> um, and uh, uh so it kind of spans all all kinds of of, of uh, different work places. Uh, we have frontline workers. We have all kinds of people. So over COVID, we we kind of lost those guys because they were really busy um, driving ambulances and stuff. Um, 
And then uh, we have a massive contingent of students. And these are students in university and colleges, high school students, really good high school students, right down to some kids that are 12 or 13 years old that have come from, you know, Asian countries who take the instrument very young and they get very, very, very good. And so they can rise to the occasion. Um, so the level of musicianship is is very good. I mean, they have to be very good to play in this orchestra. But um, yeah, we definitely span all ages, um, all kind of career uh, uh, areas. Mm -hmm. And culturally, it's very mixed. Um, it's been more so in some years and less so in other years, depending on what's happening. Um, I remember when um, the Syrian crisis was happening and we got um, a couple of young musicians who had to come here and they wanted to play. They brought their small suitcase and their violin mm -hmm. and uh, they played in our orchestra until they got into university and off they went. So we really helped them move along. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, all uh, we have a lot of people who have emigrated um, and, and we have several refugee people as well uh, play for us. And uh, it's a big, lovely, colorful, wonderful family. Very good. Yeah, it's a, I, music is universal and that's fantastic. So excellent. Okay. Uh, are there opportunities for people to join? Are you still taking new musicians? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Sometimes we're in need of specific instruments and we put the word out. Mm -hmm. um, but on our website, uh, there's a place where people can apply to play okay. and they fill out a, a, a little experience profile um, and they tell us why they want to play with us. And uh, I read up, read it and see if 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 I think they can handle it or not. You know, I mean, technically. Uh, and we often uh, I, sometimes we audition them, uh, but mostly we would invite them to a rehearsal and they sit beside somebody who's in the orchestra and uh, they meet a new friend, uh, they get to play. And if they're, if they're not ready, they're just not ready. And then they come back perhaps in a following year or two later. Mm -hmm. um, but most of the time they stay. Yeah. Most of the time they're definitely ready to play for us. I think they've either heard us or they've heard from a friend who had heard them play. Um, so we've been really lucky there's very few we've turned away. Um, sometimes the younger high school kids, you know, we, we would have 90 flute players from all the different high schools if I let everybody in, but we just can't do that because there's select number of seats for, for the, the wind instruments, mm -hmm. but you can have flocks of strings. Hmm. So okay. that there's, there are always opportunities for them to come. I've even had some students uh, who are doing really well in high school who just come and sit in and play with us. So mm -hmm. they get to sit beside a really good player and, and play through some music in, in a big orchestra that maybe they don't have that at their school. And they get coached by the, the RHPO member, uh, get some tips on playing and, you know, they can come back whenever they want. They're not going to ruin anything. Um, and then when you come closer to a concert, we ask them if maybe they could not come anymore so that we can fine tune things. And then they're welcome to come back when we start a new concert session. Very good. Okay. And that leads into me trying to understand what happens with musicians really practicing in rehearsals. So I know you practice on Monday nights at the theater. I've seen, I've heard you there, but how much time would, um, would someone be practicing for, for the concerts that you do? Uh, well, our rehearsals are around two hours on Monday nights. Yeah. A little over two hours Monday nights. Um, we don't do any extra rehearsals. Um, 
So that's the time that they have with us. And we hope that they practice their parts on their own at home. And most of them do. Okay. Um, I don't know how much time it takes. Uh, you know, different musicians take more time to learn things than others. You know, I was really lucky because I had played so much as a, a professional going, just jumping into groups and playing on the night of the show because they needed a filler that I got really, really good at reading. So I didn't have to practice maybe as much as somebody else might, mm -hmm. but then there are other folks that need less practice than I ever would. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a personal thing. Um, if we feel like they're not really prepared and they're coming in and not helping out very much, in fact, <laughs> wrecking some stuff, then, you know, somebody will ask them like, would you like to get together and we can have a little sectional together? And, you know, mm -hmm. it's all handled very nicely and uh, like a team, you know? Very good. Like to hear that. Okay. Still trying to understand what happens at these rehearsals. So from my recollection, there are about 12 pieces played at each concert. Is that correct? I'm just uh, wondering. Well, if that varies. It does vary. Okay. Yeah, varies a lot because um, the more traditional orchestral music is usually much longer. Right. So if a piece is sort of 10 minutes long, nope. there wouldn't be 12 of those, you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you guys don't want to be listening to us all night. Yeah. So I generally try and program for about two 35 to 40 minute halves okay. because I do do a little talk in between the pieces to let people know something about the piece that we're going to play. Um, so I, it, it, the, the bulk time is the, the bulk time. So that could be six pieces or 10 pieces or sometimes okay. two pieces, you know, you know, and this is why, man, a lot of people want to hear the a whole symphony. Well, most symphonies are are far too long for for our yeah. thing. You know, we only do five concerts a year, yeah. and so for us to sit there and play Sibelius for eighty two minutes in a row is not going to be probably as as interesting as a movement from that and a movement from something else. And so people can sample them all, all lots of different music mm -hmm. and hear hear the different things. And if they really catch on to something. They can go and suss it out and listen to it at home or go to another concert and hear the whole thing where, you know, the Toronto Symphony plays every week. So they can play long, long pieces and they only do two or three a night. Right. So at each rehearsal, do you go through everything that would be played at the concert? No. So what happens? No. So I come up with the rehearsal schedule. And uh, the first night we play through everything because it's reading the new music that they've just got. And then I start, uh, I just do uh, maybe half of the program on the following week. And it, I, I enlighten them to what it's about, highlights of the music, where it's going and the structure of things. So they're playing, but they're playing with some goals in mind. And then the following week, I'll do the other half and the same drill. And then the following week, I start to nitpick. And so I'll pluck out specific ones, usually the, the more difficult pieces and drill down into, you know, helping them play the really difficult parts together and get balance and blend and stuff like that. And, um, and then as we start to get more towards the concert, then I start playing more and more pieces on each rehearsal. So they get used to the flow of getting okay. through it and have to think about percussion too, because between pieces, they have to change around and pick different instruments to playing. And um, so there's a lot of uh, logistics back there, you know, so it's all about, uh, there is a, there is a, uh, usually a, a pretty concrete plan for each session. And it usually is that. 
but okay, yeah, we don't play everything all the time. Thank you, because I have been really curious what happened. So thank yeah, you. You would never that. fix anything if you did that. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are some of the other cha- challenges you have with leading or conducting an orchestra? Um, challenges are uh, musicians being away. And of course, the COVID situation was terrible for us. We kept going. Um, I was able to uh, help develop well, I developed with help um, a program that we could play online together and we could have up to 100 musicians playing at one time with no latency in sound. It was very clear, sounded like we were in the same room, Amazing. Um, but there were technical challenges for some folks beyond what they could actually like do on their computer. So we we lost some people. So that was tough. So but the same thing is happens with in real life, too. You know, recently, all the high school kids had their exams. And normally, it wouldn't be a problem. They come to rehearsal every Monday. They're very good about coming. But this year is the first in-person exams that they've had, some of them, in their whole life. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of freaking out that if they had an exam on Tuesday and they didn't know what to expect and they were studying like mad. And so we were missing a whole bunch of them. Um, So that's a big challenge. You know, and so if I plan on rehearsing a piece and those are the guys that really need to work on it with us and they're not there, I have to kind of be smart about how I utilize our time because I can't just kind of skirt across that because when they come back, we've got to do that. And so scheduling is really tough. So I can't be I can't be super finite with my scheduling. I have to usually put more on than we might do. And that way I can ditch something that might not work that night, you know? Okay. Okay. Anything else? Any other real challenges? Not really. I mean, it's always a challenge to hear the first rehearsal when they're sight reading the music. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Very often you have really good guest uh, appearances Uh, in the fall. I'm, Really enjoyed Robert Pellon, who was the Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, you've had other great guests, too. Are you planning any anyone else coming? Any other surprises for us? Usually, I, if I do have a guest, it would be kind of on one concert a year. And Robert was very, very kind to join us on our first back to our regular season concerts. And he did that on purpose to help us out, to help us get out of the gate. He would have done a concert anytime with us, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and uh, so that we opened the, the season with that. The problem with having guests is it's, it's very, a very sort of with a Robert Pete on, he, he attracts a lot of people, other guests. It, it would be a, a sliver of the community would be interested perhaps in that thing. And so to do too many of them, you're slicing away um, audience. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to do that. If people yeah. want to come hear us, I want them to come and hear us. Um, we did the, the Broadway show was our last concert before COVID, like literally a couple of weeks before we got locked down. And people loved that. You know, it was three ladies singing jazz and, and you know, the Juno winning singers. It was fantastic. But that was the only one on that year as a f- big feature. Um, Do I have any plans for this year? I kind of do for the last concert of our season. I'm commemorating the 150th anniversary of of Richmond Hill. And um, I'm I'm putting together a program that 
um, acknowledges and represents underrepresented communities in the orchestra hall. So, mm -hmm. for example, you don't hear ever Persian music played by an orchestra because mm -hmm. they just don't do that. But their music is awesome. So I'm finding that's very special music, perhaps from that community and other different communities, and finding the songs that matter to them and orchestrating it for a big orchestra so that more people can hear music that you never hear. And the people who it is their music might want to come and hear their music done in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so that very well might include guests. I'm going to be honest, I haven't really finished all of that. It's a lot of work. This is my sabbatical work. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm pulling together the music. I've got a couple in mind. And if there are um, pieces that perhaps require a, a singer in that particular language, well, then that would be a guest, right? Okay. But there won't be any sort of big headliners big hit, yes. for the rest of the year. That's okay. generally a kind of a one a year thing. Well, it's okay. very expensive to bring them in. And we are a not-for-profit orchestra with no money. Right. Okay. <laughs> so Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, uh, your final concert, your sesquicentennial uh, one, and it uh, should be great. I'm glad that uh, you are doing that. You, there is the one coming up February 18th, uh, Kaleidoscope of the Imagination. Uh, what should I imagine? What type of music are you? Is does that involve? Well, um, I love the idea of kaleidoscope, and I've been thinking about this concept um, for a couple of years because all I've really all I've really had to do for three years is work very hard and imagine things. <laughs> And I love the concept of, of the kaleidoscope. You you turn it and you it's all different things. And then I started thinking about our concert seasons. And I've been I've had a very staunch formula for these concerts. The October one was a romantic serious music concert, holiday concerts, loads of fun. Sometimes there's acting on it and there's fun stuff, but it's it's holiday, you know, it's very light. Um, February was usually our pops concert where we did movie music or show mu music from the musical theater or rock music or something like that. And then April, we do a nature concert. And, you know, that that's mostly romantic music. And then the proms at the end of the year. But it was, it, it seemed very compartmentalized. And this year, I thought, since it's a new normal, I'm trying a different thing with the programming in that there's a something for everybody on each program, but it's all very good music. So for the kaleidoscope of um, imagination, it's, it is um, music that represents people who have invented or their imagination has, has, has created or learned things that have moved us forward. So, for example, um, Stephen Hawking, hmm. there's a piece that, that you know, it talks about him. It happens to be from a movie. So I have some movie music in there. Um, and I also have some um, legit, some stuff from the legit uh, repertoire. There's Elgar um, and a couple of other um, romantic composers, um, and their music is also it's about dreams and 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 uh, they were in inspirational in the music industry too, and in the ways that they did that. Um, I even have a musical theater piece on the program. Um, and then there's a, an original composition that's quite new, but it's really cool. It's about space and it's very, very interesting. So uh, there's, there's all, there's something for everybody. And I don't think anybody's going to hate anything. 
Okay. Because the way that it flows and the way that it's mixed up, it actually, in programming, it's like a kaleidoscope in itself. You turn the thing and then all of a sudden you're listening to film music. And then you turn the thing and now you're hearing the you know, old school musical theater drum beat happening. And then you've got the vastness of romantic music. Um, and so I, I'm not going to give up a lot more than that because, you okay. know, I like to keep my programs a secret. Yep. <laughs> okay but i like thing. the analogy of a kaleidoscope that is great so and as you said the spring one is one in april is nature nurture it's all, well I, I it used to one. be it's it is sort of it's uh creatures great and small so again the repertoire is going to be quite different we actually have a, a we're going to do a world premiere of a new composition um about dragons which is quite cool um and then of course and then again i'm going to the same change of formula there's there's a couple of pieces that come from movie one that comes from television um some legit from the legit repertoire um and um yeah the, the same same concept except i don't think there's a musical theater piece on that i don't think there's any oompa on that one but but there is some really fun stuff right and it's all about different animals of creatures some are real some aren't and most are again imagined right so my 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 thing this year is is imagination innovation inspiration and this concept of kaleidoscope okay i I like that okay it's we're not going back to normal so yeah no i don't want to go back to normal but i am i am hearing back from people because I, i mean I can program all kinds of good. There's tons of good music out there. Mm-hmm. And if the audience is enjoying this format better, then this is the format we keep. If okay. the audience like the other format better, well, then I can go back to that. That's fine. It doesn't matter to me. The orchestra doesn't care either. We still get to play all the same good music rather than being compartmentalized into five separate piles. It's just being mixed up more in the styles of things. You know, and then, of course, the special thing, if we ever got Robert Pino back again, maybe we would do a totally different kind of mm. concert. You know, maybe we do all his show music or something, you know, because he was also Jean Valjean. <laughs> yes. Yeah. OK. <laughs> Lots to look forward to. But besides the five concerts, does the RHPO do other performances? Not really. We get asked to a lot. I mean, a lot of people want us to play outside, you know, like play at Mill Pond or something. And it's just impossible, you know, or they want us to be in a parade in the winter, um, you know, things like that. Um, In the past, we have shared, uh, done reciprocal concerts with uh, choirs, for example. So we went out to Orangeville and did a concert there. And then that choir came and did our concert with us. And we've done that in the past. Um, but the logistics of that are so tough. They're so hard that unless it's 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 a really good opportunity in a good hall, um, I, I got to admit I'm not all that interested. It, it, it's a lot to move. Yeah, you know, okay. you've got you know two truckloads of percussion equipment and 65 people and music stands and chairs and like it's it's crazy to do this. Um, so we generally don't. We do have small smaller ensembles though that go and play. Um, I know that we've had some string groups play at um, some of the, the care homes in town um, and at special events. We've had, um, I I think we're up to play for the business awards ceremony or the yep. volunteer achievement or something like that. Um, in in town, there are things. And so I, we, I put together a, a smaller composite of musicians. That's easy to put together and move. Okay. You know, but the whole the whole kit and caboodle is like it's Not moving practical. like moving your house without packing anything. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um 
Yeah, I have known you for a number of years, and I will say that uh, I feel like you really want to nurture the love of music. Yeah, that's uh, and one thing you do is you do these pre. Are you still doing pre-show talks? The pre-show talks um, I stopped doing this year for two reasons. One, uh, with not really ever knowing what might come happening with COVID yeah. and how people are feeling about being in a room for a certain amount of time, because there are there are rules around um, clearing the air time okay. and having people in a room for an extra half an hour or an hour um, can sometimes not be very good for them. And because that's just unclear right now, because mm-hmm. we just it hasn't gone away, and I don't think it will for a while. Um, that's been a bit of a tricky wicket in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, the other problem is scheduling um, at the center with the tech crew, um, and because of now the way their schedules work, um, they need to have a break at a, a time before we start playing, which means that I have to get the orchestra to come in very, very early in the afternoon. And then they kind of hang around for a couple of hours mm-hmm. and um, either I'm, I'm blasting out a quick, you know, half an hour pre-concert talk in 10 minutes, which never works. <laughs> uh, and that was already beginning to happen before COVID where I would be, you know, like, am I, you know, I, should I do this or not? Should I just cancel it? And I, I sometimes I did because we just started not having enough time for it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I would like to, but at the moment, it just doesn't seem uh, practical at the moment. Okay. Yeah. No, they, but I love giving them, you know, and, and yeah. I wish, I wish I could, you know, I actually, when I was in Pennsylvania, I gave pre-concert talks as, as a professional speaker at other people's concerts. And I really enjoyed sharing and seeing people's light up about you know mm-hmm. little things about the music and it was it was quite neat um so in in contrast uh th- the program notes help a lot in the programs yes. and some programs just it doesn't warrant having program notes i mean for a holiday concert there's not much i can write about jingle bells but <laughs> okay yeah no you they for the concert very often the program there's notes tons to say rich. about the yeah, and I would encourage people, you know, get there yes. early, re- sit down, enjoy yourself, read the program notes before the concert. I think that's a good, very good thing to do. Okay, um, I will put in our podcast notes that the uh, link to the which you to the orchestra, and of course you can get tickets that way. And I hope to see many of the people that are listening to this at the concerts. You certainly will see me. Uh, so anything else that you wanted to add, Jessica? No, I mean, I uh, thank you so much, Marge. It's it, uh, it, it's it's not very often that I feel appreciated. Okay. It's it's tough because I work very hard and I don't get my my head out of the out of the ground sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's nice when I look up and and you know you wanted me to do this podcast and I'm noticing more and more people are starting to come out and they're coming to the concerts and you know thanking me for coming back and making concerts and. It's feeling really, really nice. And you doing this for us is is lovely. And I really appreciate you thinking about us. Oh, good. No, you're very welcome. I, it's a, I'm a big fan of yours. So this is, a, it's my pleasure. Okay. I do end the podcast with a guest response to this question. Name one thing that you really like about this community. Does it have to just be one? Could it be one sentence? Well, um, I'm going to make it a sentence. I love 
the cultural and artistic diversity, that the people are kind, and that there is a genuine community spirit in Richmond Hill. Yep. That is what I love the most about this place. Okay, like that answer. Okay, so again, thank you, Jessica, for taking the time to do this podcast. Thank you for your time, Marge. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast. Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at Marge, M-A-R-J, at MargeAndre.com. I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well, stay connected.